We are continuing our journey and looking at why are we here. As Bay Vista Baptist Church, we have a specific field of service. But as the body of Christ, in general, why are we here? And over the course of the last few weeks, we have been looking at the issue of worship. And I shared with you from the depths of my heart, I believe worship is the number one priority of the body of Christ. Because out of it, everything else grows. Well, today we're going to conclude our look at worship as one of the essentials, one of the reasons for the church's existence. And as we do, we're going to come to a familiar theme we've seen all along this way. A familiar theme that is singing praises to the Lord. The importance of singing before God. But there is a difference in our text. A subtle difference that we might overlook in the book of Psalms. So we would expect it to be about praise, although many of the Psalms are actually about lament. But there is a difference in our text. So we're going to take a look at Psalm 92, verses 1 through 6, and I'll share a little bit more about the rest of the song as we go along. But I want you to listen carefully to what we're about to hear. So would you stand as we read the Word of God? It's a beautiful passage, and listen with all of your heart to what God is going to say to to His people. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night to the music of the ten-stringed heart lyre and the melody of the harp. For you make me glad by your deeds, Lord. I sing for joy of what your hands have done. How great are your deeds, Lord. How profound your thoughts. Senseless people do not know. Fools do not understand. God bless the reading of his word. You may sit down. Now, there are songs in the book of Psalms that begin with phrases like, I'm going to praise God. But there's a difference with our text. And the key is in the pronouns that are used. In Psalm 92, as you read through the whole psalm, and I encourage you to do that sometime this afternoon, you will notice that he never uses plural pronouns. We, us, or you, in terms of people. Uh, Now, obviously, he speaks to the Lord, you, Lord, but he never talks about you. He never talks about we. He never talks about us. When you look at the pronouns of our text, you will discover he uses singular personal pronouns, I, me, and my. Now, Natalie shared with the kids the title of this song, A Song for the Sabbath. Now, that was not in the original text of the psalm itself. It was supplied. Uh, some people believe very late, others believe early. But it describes the purpose of this song. And by the way... Hunt through all 150 psalms, 
And you will find that this title is not used for any other song. This is it. A song for the Sabbath. And it tells us a couple of things. One, that the Sabbath was actually a time of worship and praise for Israel. It wasn't just not doing work. It was focusing on God and worshiping and praising Him. But it also shows us that the intent of this psalm was to be used as worship. But still, unlike the psalm that says, I'm going to praise the Lord, come and exalt the Lord's name with me. He's just telling us what he does and what he pledges to do. Yes, it is meant to encourage people to worship, but in this case, the psalmist is using his experience of praise as that which challenges us. And today, that is a crucial difference. Because today, we're going to take a look. We've been looking at corporate worship, and I've mentioned private worship a little bit. But today we're going to talk about your worship with God, whether it be in your den, your prayer closet, your bedroom, or out on the porch. Your worship with God, my worship with God. And we will see what an ongoing personal worship should be like. Because if we are worshiping God Personally, hang on to what's going to happen when we come together corporately. So we're going to take a look at some important truths that are drawn out of this text about when I will sing of the Lord's love, when I will declare His faithfulness morning and night. Powerful passage of Scripture. I am going to worship the Lord. So let's jump in. The first thing I want you to notice is that personal worship shows we have a delight in worshiping God. It's something we enjoy. It's something we look forward to. It's something that shows we care about God and what He's done for us. When I am engaged in personal worship, I am saying this is an amazing highlight of my day. And the psalmist expressed it this way. As he writes, and we don't know who wrote this psalm, the psalmist declared that it was good to praise the Lord. And that phrase, it is good to praise the Lord, means This is the appropriate response to the God of our covenant. This is what we should be doing. This is what we ought to be doing. This is what we can be doing. When we think about who God was, he's saying we will worship the Lord. And it's good. And there's two important things he points out. God's Covenant love. The word used for love here is chesed, and it's the love of the covenant. When God entered a covenant in with Israel, He let them know He was going to love them with an everlasting love. 
And then he's going to worship God because of his faithfulness. Because all of the things he's promised, he is going to bring to pass. And what happens when the psalmist begins to worship God in his heart, in his words, before God Almighty, this worship, this praise uplifts him. It uplifts him in the face of struggle. As you read the psalm today, you will discover that he talks about enemies and his assurance that God is going to deal with that. But in his struggles through life, he wants to praise the Lord and he says, your deeds make me glad. And folks, that word glad means joyful. You fill my heart with joy. You fill my life with joy when I think about what you've done. And he can't restrain. He says, I'm going to sing. And he's even going to use musical instruments along the way to help it be a joyful, meaningful, exciting song. Why? Because the psalmist had come to understand This is why I'm here. God created me to walk in a relationship with me. God created me in a relationship to love. And I am going to praise him. It's the key to my existence. And now allow me to meddle a little bit. I know that many of you have been raised in a tradition where your praise is not terribly vocal. I was sharing with somebody out in the portico a couple of weeks ago that 100, 150 years ago, a Baptist church in the South, if you could time travel, it would shock you. Because in a Baptist church, it was not unusual to hear, Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! Amen! Preach it, brother. Which, by the way, amen, and preach it, brother, is like saying sick him to a dog to a preacher. It was vocal, it was loud, it was joyful, and along the way we grew afraid of that. And so some of you have never declared vocally, at least in a crowd of people, praise the Lord, maybe in a whisper. But I want you to know something. When the psalmist is praising God, this is not quiet reflection. This is not the man with his head bowed, his eyes closed, and thinking wonderful thoughts about God. He's singing. He's praying. He's shouting. It's coming out of the very depths of his being because he is joyful in God. An external vocal declaration of his love. And I think he set the standard. And I know this is going to sound very weird to you, perhaps. But you know, when our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and we're thinking things like, I praise you, Lord. That's good. It's wonderful to do that. 
But when you allow the joy of the Lord to touch your life, and you hear your own voice exclaiming to God, I will praise you morning and night. It makes worship so much more real. Because that's what God intended us to do. And folks, the simple truth, the simple reality is that which we truly love has our attention. Think about it. Real world examples, and I use that word real world in quotes because worshiping God is a real word, word to me, a world. We find it ways to express our love for the people we care for, don't we? We long to be with the people who hold our hearts. Now, we are human, and we're not perfect, and every once in a while... We get upset with each other, and we may go into a time of silence, which is not healthy for a relationship, but overall, the people we love and who love us, we're drawn to. We want to be with them. So how is it, my friends, how is it that so often in this world, the single most important being in all of existence, our Lord and our God is relegated to the least amount of our attention. We give him a few minutes here. We give him a few minutes there. We may pray at our meals. We may pray that he watches over us when we sleep. And we may pray, thank you that I woke up today. But how is it we have forgotten God has delivered us. God has filled us with a living hope. God has loved us with a perfect, unconditional love. And that love causes our God to lift us up from where we are to what we can be. In light of all that God has done for us, how can we not be filled with praise? And how can we limit it to once a week when we gather together? We should treasure our times with God with our whole hearts. Now, I know that he is with us at all times. But we should celebrate that presence. By turning our hearts to him and telling him about the joy he has given us. And if we do this on a regular basis, if we come to the place of saying, I'm going to worship you, Lord, and I'm not waiting for Sunday. I'm going to be praising you. I'm going to be loving you. I'm going to be sharing my When we do this, we may have finally discovered the importance of what Jesus said. When somebody asked him, what's the most important law of all? And he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. Everything within you, worship and love the Lord. And when we worship God personally, 
we take that time, we're saying, by giving that time to God, I love you, Lord. And I thank you that you love me. Personal worship shows we delight in worshiping God. Ongoing worship then demonstrates that worship is vital to our lives. We've now decided we, we love the Lord and we want to worship Him. Now, if we are doing this on a regular basis, we're saying this is important. This is something that is crucial to my existence. It is part of who I am. Understand that the psalmist wasn't promoting a timetable for worship. He declared that he would proclaim God's love in the morning and his faithfulness at night. And this has led some to embrace the idea that we should have set times of worship. We should have a time of worship in the morning and we should have a time of worship at night. And believe me, if you do that, it will have a definite and beneficial impact on your life. But that's not really what the psalmist is talking about. The phrase morning and night is actually known as a merism. M-E-R-I-S-M. A merism. And what that is, is a figure of speech. A poetic statement. Contrasting two things that are different to point out a total, a totality. The extent. Now, you probably or may not ever have heard the word merism, but you use them all the time. Body and soul. Near and far. For those of you said vows, for better or worse. And a merism expresses completeness. And here it is a poetic a joyfully poetic device. The psalmist was making this clear. Stephen Parrish pointed out, God is to be praised continually and not just periodically. And that's the point. I am going to be worshiping God continually in my life. Through the day, through the weeks, all the time, whenever I can, I will be praising God. Now, why? Why is he devoting his heart to a continual time of praise before God? Because God has changed him. And he can't do anything less than develop this love for God and a worship that spills out of his the depths of his being regularly. And meaningfully. There was a song way back in my youth days in church. I'm going to keep on singing. I'm going to keep on shouting. I'm going to keep on telling the world that Jesus saves. The psalmist says, I'm going to keep on worshiping. And again, let's take this world, real world look at this, folks. Understand the psalmist is not promoting a timetable. Get that, grab hold of it, know that. So what does this mean for you and me? If it's not 
15 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes at night, if it is about continuality, what's the connection? And the real world connection, once I state it, is incredibly obvious. We make time for what is important in our lives. We make time for what is important. Again, look at the way we live. In our world that is very chaotic, very hectic, things get crowded out of our lives. But that which we think is truly important, we will make time for. My my dad's mom, mom and aunt's, and this really surprised me when I found out at a young age. Mom and Nance loved wrestling. That's how she called it, wrestling. And if she could possibly watch wrestling on TV, you're not going to keep her from doing it. And my, my normally reserved grandmother would be shouting at the TV. And her hero, Wahoo McDaniels. It was important to her. And she made time to watch. And when she was watching, all of us were. And today, if you miss your show, you're going to be sure that you either tape, uh, record it, excuse me, not tape, record it, or watch it on streaming. If your greatest joy is to go out into the gulf and catch a big fish, I guarantee you're going to find time to fish. Going out to the golf course to play around, if that's your your joy, you'll find a way to go play. If your family is a crucial part of your life, you'll make as much time to be with them as possible. I made a pledge to Rachel when we got married. And not just the vows that we described at the the service itself, but I made a pledge to Rachel. She knew I was a minister. She knew that's what I was doing with my life. And I told her, I'm not going to be one of those preachers who sacrificed my family to the ministry. I've known men who have bragged about working 60, even 80 hours a week serving the Lord. One said he had no time for hobbies. He did no reading except for sermon material. And while people were saying, wow, what dedication, what service, I couldn't help but think I'd I'd hate to be your son. And so with everything going on, and my life has been busy, even though I've been serving smaller churches by intent, my life has been busy, it's been crazy, and I guarantee you, Rachel and my daughter Jessica were always given a crucially important moment of time and and extended period times of my life. Because I believe my first priority is to be a godly example to my family and then my family. And the two don't have to fight each other. So if we make time for what's important, how is it 
then that the apex, what should be the top priority of our lives, our God, our Lord, our Savior, how is it we so often give him just a few minutes here and there, declaring, I love you, Lord, but it's not really all that important. Again, as we remember what God has done, God has delivered us. God has filled us with living hope. God loves us with a perfect, unconditional love, and that love causes God to lift us up to what we can be. If we really understand that, if we truly believe that, our hearts are going to be crying out. Go to your Father. Spend time with your Lord. Share with Him your heart of praise. If we truly love him with everything that we are, worship becomes vital. And so our lives in ongoing worship should show that God is first priority. Now, I'm not suggesting that you walk around spouting, Amen, and praise the Lord to punctuate every sentence. I've told you on more than one occasion, I'm a little bit skeptical, and a pastor should probably never say this, but I'm a little bit skeptical about people who use religious language too often. Had a flat tire, praise the Lord. A radiator blew, amen, hallelujah. I got shingles. Praise God. I'm not suggesting that you cut your off, yourself off from the world. Jesus specifically prayed, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. I'm not asking you, cut yourself away from the world, go to a retreat center, and spend the rest of your days praising and contemplating God. What I am saying is that we must prioritize, we must reprioritize our lives to the point And so we think more and more about who God is and what he's done. We're going to focus more and more on him. And we're going to start having an ongoing worship experience that is meaningful, that is rich, and is continual. And so if personal worship demonstrates that I delight in praising God, and ongoing worship shows that it's vital to my life, then ongoing worship, and here, as your bulletin suggests, personal ongoing worship reveals we've been touched by the greatness of God. We have come to understand what God has done, and it changes us. When you look at the psalmist here, This man of God, expressing his desire to worship God continually, the psalmist clearly had come to a place 
of intense gratitude for God and God's work in his life. Listen again to verses 4 and 5. For you make me glad by your deeds, Lord. I sing for joy of what your hands have done. How great are your works, Lord. How profound your thoughts. He's saying to God, not only are you great in what you've done for me, your very heart, when you think about me, is amazing and wonderful, and it brings me joy, and it brings me a heart to love you. He'd come to see and understand how much he owed God in terms of deliverance, restoration, revitalization of life and meaning. I want to read for you verses 12 through 15 from this text. I told you that this psalm is a hymn that was used for Sabbath. But it also reflects wisdom literature. In fact, it sounds very much, 12 through 15, sounds very much like Psalm 1. Talking about, and Psalm 1 is a wisdom song that launches out the whole book. And it compares the difference between the life of the ungodly and the life of those who serve the Lord. Listen to verses 12 through 15. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming, The Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. This is what you have done, Lord. And we have hope because you have touched us. Now, I will often point out that praise is is saying to God, I love you for who you are. Thanksgiving is praising God for what he's done. But I want you to know in this particular psalm, the psalmist seems no difference between praise and thanksgiving. They are hand in glove. He's praising God for the things he's done with a voice of thanksgiving. And it is an act of praise. You see, the reality is you can't separate what God does from who he is. Because everything he does is based on who he is. And our psalmist, so overwhelmed by what God has done, can't help but express his gratitude. And again, stepping back and just looking at real world life, And part of what you were probably taught when you were a kid, gratitude tends to keep us focused on the source of good things in our lives. You were taught to say thank you, right? I mean, your first words in life were not, thank you, mother, for giving birth to me. You had to be taught to say thank you. Why? Because the sad reality is the human beings, we're not that great at expressing gratitude, and we have to be taught. And even when we're taught, 
Saying thank you can deteriorate, can it, into some perfunctory statement that we say because we have to. But it can also, saying thank you, teach us to appreciate the people and events in our lives that have made us better and richer people. It helps us to see those who speak into our lives love, generosity, concern, help. When I say thank you, I'm acknowledging that you've touched my life. One of my favorite lines from the hit Broadway musical, Wicked. When two friends are saying goodbye, they sing, Who can tell if I've been changed for the better? But because I know you, I've been changed for good. And so we say thank you. How is it then? We stumble through life so often forgetting the one who has given us the most precious of all gifts. Eternal life. And life more abundantly. Maybe we just grow too familiar with the Holy One of Israel. Maybe it's because we've lost reverence. Maybe it's because we take His kindnesses and his deeds of mercy for granted. Someone once said, God will forgive. It's his job. Maybe we don't take enough time to reflect the mighty deeds, the love of God, and how wonderful and profound his thoughts are for us. So you and I, We need to be intentionally, continually remembering the deeds and love of God. God has delivered us. God has filled us with a loving hope. God has loved us with an unconditional love. And that love causes God to lift us from where we are to where we can be. Now, I have repeated those four things every major point. Why? Because I couldn't think of anything else to say no. I've just demonstrated to you a practice of continually paying attention, listening to, looking for what God has done for us. That should be our pattern. Not just something that happens on Sunday, something that happens throughout our lives. Paying attention to the God who has changed us. And when we take the time in ongoing personal worship to reflect on all that God has done, our hearts will truly develop real, meaningful, worshipful gratitude. So personal worship says, I delight in spending time with you and loving you, God. Ongoing worship says, it's vital enough for me. I'm going to make it my regular practice. And personal ongoing worship says, God, I know how great you are to me.
And I have this heart of attitude, gratitude. So our ongoing focus of worship of God's deeds will fill our hearts with wisdom for life. Now, that may not be exactly what you expected this to end up with. That ongoing personal worship focusing on God will give us wisdom. Why would I say this again? Remember I told you that this is a wisdom song as well as a hymn? And verse 6 lets us know that when we are worshiping God, we are wise children. For the psalmist said in this text, only senseless people do not know, only fools do not understand. Those who have no heart to follow God, those who do not know Him, who have not been changed by Him, will never understand the importance of what you and I are doing right now and what we should be doing in our individual lives. They can't know because they don't know the God who's loved them. As worshipers, let's make it a point. Every day of our lives, to take time to focus on God's active love so that we will know how to face this world. Because as crazy as this world is, folks, and as scary as it can be, we have a truth that God reigns and we should have hope. Tony Evans shares the story of a dog. And I like dog stories. I love dogs. But he talks about a dog who truly loved his master, a little teenage boy. And every time the dog's with him, that tail is wagging. And he follows him everywhere. At night, when it's time to go to bed, the dog jumps up into the bed with him. If the boy gets up in the night to go to the bathroom, the dog will follow him and sit outside the door waiting intently on his master to come out. And as he goes back to bed once again, the routine is again, he jumps in the bed with this boy he so loves. When he gets up in the morning and goes to breakfast, the dog goes to breakfast with him and sits and wags his tail and watches. Then as the boy gets ready to go to school and heads out the door, the dog follows him all the way to the bus stop. And there at the bus stop, he sits and waits, just loving to be with his boy. And when the bus picks him up and heads down the road, the dog starts chasing the bus as far as he can until the bus simply outpaces him. And so the dog goes back home to wait. And this has been his routine for so long. He somehow understands when it's time to go back to the bus stop. When the boy comes out, that tag's, that tail's wagging again. Following all the way home. 
And he goes through the rest of the day with him. When it's time for dinner, the dog sits and waits at his feet. He then follows him around the house, whatever the boy's doing, until it's time to tune in for the night. And at this point, he jumps back in the bed. He's home. He's safe. He's with his boy. And Evans asked, how can a dog do that day in and day out for his little teenage master? Because when the boy found the dog, it was wandering the street. It was a mangy, unkempt mutt. It was headed for sure disaster by the dog catcher. If that dog had ever been caught, it surely would not have been adopted. But instead eradicated. However, this boy found that wandering mangy dog, took it home, washed it, bathed it, resuscitated it, helped bring healing to it, fed it, and most of all, loved him. And it became apparent by the wagging of that tail. That dog never forgot. Wherever that boy was, the dog was going to be. Because the the dog will always remember where he had been when this boy found him and loved him. And Tony brings his story to a close. No matter what kind of sinner you were, he found you. The grace of God discovered you where you were. You heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and he saved you. And my only question for you is this. Where would you be if he hadn't found you? Is your gratefulness evident in the way you respond to the master? Folks, personal worship shows that we Delight in worshiping our God. Ongoing worship shows that worship is vital to our lives. Personal ongoing worship reveals that we've really been touched by God's greatness, filled with hearts of gratitude. So what if? What if we fail? What if we do not give to our God the love and commitment that will lead us to personal ongoing worship? What do we do? Dismiss everything we've heard today? Remind ourselves, well, we give Sunday to God regularly. That ought to be enough. Do we ignore it? What we do is repent. We ask God, renew my love for you. We ask him to lead us into encounters where we see his hand move and we are thrilled to joy.
Back at the end of the 20th century, I heard a song by Margaret Becker. It had a profound effect on my life. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and your hearts before God. And I want you to listen to these words. I'm asking you to let these words become your prayer today. Ask God to change you. From where I stand, lay, I can see the sun rising through the trees. Before I face this morning rush, I get down on my knees. I lift my eyes. And thank you for this life you've granted me. I pray that every day I live, your heart will be pleased. I pray for hands that hold you higher than anything else. And a heart that loves you more than life itself. This is all I've ever wanted. This is all I want to be. All I've ever wanted is to love you faithfully. From where I stand, I can see the dreams that you have fulfilled. Such kindness I did not deserve, but you gave it still. What do I have that you did not give? There's nothing that I can see. So all I have to give to you is what you've given me. I pray for hands that hold you higher than anything else. And this heart to love you more than life itself. This is all I've ever wanted. This is all I want to be. All I've ever wanted is to love you faithfully. I know I don't have the power to love you like I should, but every day with everything I wish I could, I'm standing here now. These words I pray, I want to love you better, whatever it takes. I pray for hands that hold you higher than anything else. And this heart to love you more than life itself. This is all I've ever wanted. This is all I want to be. All I've ever wanted is to love you faithfully. Today, if that is not your heart, will you go to God and ask him, change me? Father, so fill me with your love that I won't have to be told to worship you. I won't have to to struggle. I will come to the place where worship flows freely out of my life, where my hands hold you higher than anything else.